You know, a principle of life is that signs lead you to reality. In other words, symbols and signs lead you to something. They're not a thing within themselves. They lead you to believe or know or pursue or be weary of something. That's what signs do. So, like for instance, this is like not a sign, but it's a symbol, right? It's a symbol that reflects a reality. What does this symbol reflect? Anybody know? Right, that I'm married, right. There's a sign on a fence that says, beware of dog. Is that sign the dog? No. It reflects a reality that that sign is trying to demonstrate. The reason I bring that up is because many times we can get caught up with signs and not realize that signs are here to reveal something real. Signs are here to reveal something real. Like 2,000 years ago, a story that you've heard so many times, you're going to shut me off as soon as I tell you it. There was a sign that was given to a group of people. But those group of people realized that it wasn't just a light show. It wasn't just a sign. But that sign was revealing something, and they literally changed their lives. They changed their plans. They changed what they were going to do, not only for that evening, but for the next few years. They changed and pursued what the sign was telling them. Of course, we're in a brand new Christmas. Well, we're, we're in Advent. Advent is a Christian season that reflects on the fact that God became man. We started the series last week. I know that Advent started two weeks ago, but it just worked out that we started the series last week. And next week, we finish the series. You don't want to miss that series. Um, you don't want to miss the end of the series. We're going to be speaking about Jesus, our God. Jesus, our God. For some of you, I'm telling you, it's going to blow you away. It's going to blow you away. You don't want to miss it. But these men in, this, in the Gospels, they speak about how God gives signs to different people during this Christmas story. And so we looked at the sign that he gave the shepherds. And the shepherds got this incredible miracle. This angel declaring to them what was happening. The shepherds got angels. They were poor, misunderstood, and marginalized. God gave them angels. But it would have been silly if the shepherds just would have said, did you see that? That was awesome. Yo, Ma, come over here. I'm telling you, I'm not lying. It was awesome. They were in the sky. And then 20 years later, let me tell you, let me tell you what happened one day. There were these angels, man, who showed up and said there was a baby in a manger. It was beautiful. And then you would go, oh, did you do anything about it? Did you, like, actually go to the manger they told you about? No, man, I'm telling you, the sign was just amazing. 
because, because that's silly, right? Because signs don't exist for themselves. Signs lead you to a reality, a truth, something more profound, something that the sign is trying to tell you. There was another sign that was given. The day that Christ was born, it was a sign, but it was followed by a pursuit, a pursuit. We're going to look at that today. We're going to look at it, hopefully with new eyes, all right? I want you to try to look at this story with new eyes. You've heard the story of the three kings. In fact, if you're in Puerto Rico right now, you don't even know it's Christmas. You just think it's like Three Kings Day, right? Like, it's a big deal, right? Has anybody ever been to Puerto Rico? Like, it, in, it, you know, it's like a really, really big deal there. And in other places, it's a celebration of the Three Kings, right? So we're going to read that story. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop at verse 8. We have a tradition in our church that we stand at the reading of God's word. It's a reminder to us that God's word has authority in our lives and it leads and it guides. And so we want to stand at attention and focus. So I'll read this to you and then maybe uh, you guys can um, read verses 7 and 8 with me. This is what the word of God says. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judah, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where's the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, Judea, in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet had written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people. Verses 7 and 8. Let's read this together. One, two, three. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And this ends the reading of God's word. May God bless his word. Please have a seat. So every Christmas, well, not every Christmas, but the Christmases that I tell you this story, um, I want to, uh, for some of you, I want to dispel some myths, okay? There are some myths here that you grew up in that you just received that are simply not in the scripture. Let me give you one that's going to absolutely blow your mind. Did you know that the Magi were not in the manger. You know how like you always, when they have the decorations, you have the shepherds and then the Magi, the wise men, and then the little baby Jesus in the little crib, right? And the feeding trough. They weren't there. They got the star that day. It took them years to get there. It's why when we talk about the shepherds being there, they, are, they behold the baby. When we talk about the Magi being there, they talk about the child. It's a little bit older. 
It's a couple of years. You ever wondered why Herod had, um, if it was the day that Jesus was born, have you ever wondered why Herod had all the children under two years killed? Because it took about that long. So it's, it was like a two-year gap, right? That was almost the, worth the price of entrance, right? Like you could go home now, right? Like, yeah, that was great, right? Okay. The second thing is that there wasn't necessarily three of them. Never in the story does it ever say that they were three magi. It says they brought three gifts. Whenever Herod calls the magi, he just says, call the, them the magi. You probably wouldn't make a trip like that with just three people. It's a really arduous trip. It's kind of scary. They, you wouldn't make the trip. So it could have been a gang of folks. We don't know, but we know that they did bring them three gifts. Gold. Anybody know? All right. Anybody in Sunday school? What's the word? Is it gold, frankincense, and myrrh? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, all right. So now that we got some of the myths out of the way, let's see what actually happened. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judah, or Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, these men are not Jewish men. They're not um, in any way a part of the Jewish culture. So why are these guys coming here? These guys are from a different religion and they're the most educated of their class. They're wise men. They literally inform kings. Why are they coming? Okay. I'm going to give you a brief um, discourse on suffering to help you to understand how powerful even our suffering can lead others. So, Way back when, there's a guy by the name of Daniel, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before this. Daniel gets to watch his mother and father and family murdered. Murdered before his eyes. Then he gets put in shackles and gets transferred from where he was to a foreign nature. Uh, nation. Then, in that foreign nation, they want to exercise or they want to remove all the connections that he has with the God of the Bible. And so they start teaching him his ways. Daniel is so devoted to God that he seeks his face even during this environment at the risk of his life because he could have been killed for it. Daniel then has a series of dreams, signs, that were pointing to a reality, Jesus. And he starts writing. And this is what these guys are left with. You see, Daniel suffered, was taken out of his town, lost all of his family, was in a particular um, situation, started writing what God was giving him, and then handed it down to other men that handed it down to other men. And they, even though they weren't followers of God, God gave them 
enough to be able to recognize the signs. I wonder if that's not your story. I wonder if your story isn't that your mother, or your father, or your grandmother, or your auntie, or whatever, tried to teach you about Jesus, and you weren't having it, but then you kind of went your own way, but they gave you enough that you could see sort of the signs as they started to come up. I hope you weren't satisfied with the signs. I hope the signs weren't the thing that got, some of you got a sign like, holy cow, God, help me, I want to get clean. And then two minutes later, the popo roll up, put you in some shackles, and then like you go to jail, and you're like, God, what are you doing? It's like, I'm answering your, I'm answering your prayer. It's like, that's a sign. Oh, 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 but the, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the sign wasn't just for you to get clean. The sign was to point you to someone else. Now, there's a bunch of examples that I can give you, but hopefully your eyes are open to the signs. Well, the Magi get this sign, and then they do something about it. They go, this is crazy, this is crazy. There's a star in the sky. But listen, the signs always lead to the scriptures that always lead to the Savior. This is an important point. Signs lead to the scriptures that point to the Savior. The sign that you get, the sign that they got, that led them to the scriptures. Notice what happened. Come down to verse uh, 5 and 6. In Bethlehem, in Judah, they replied, Oh, I'm sorry. Let me just go back to verse 3 so you can see the context of it. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Pause for a second. In Christmas, Christmas is a disturbance or it's a joy. It's either disturbing or a delight. Depends on where you're at. Depends on where you're at. You know, I remember a friend came to Christ in this church. He's since moved to New Jersey. Um has a lovely wife, but he was married at that time. And he came to Christ, and Jesus did a radical change in his life. For him, Christmas was a delight. His wife wanted nothing to do with Jesus. And the changes that were taking place in his she wanted her man, the one that she had married, the one who was this or that or the other thing. He was becoming a follower of Christ, radically transformed by Jesus. And she found it distasteful. He found it a delight. She found it terrible. Because that's what Christmas is like. Some people, it's a delight. Did you know what Christmas says? Christmas says, there's a savior in this world. And it's not you. That you are not the one who's the ruler. That you are not the one who is the authority person or the shot caller or whatever. You are not that person. That there's a Savior who has been born. Here's another thing Christmas says. You need saving. You don't need helping. You've got plenty of that. You don't need helping. You need saving. You are hopeless. Stay clean a hundred years. Do a hundred years worth of good deeds. And all of us are condemned for eternity without God in hell. Because of all the bad that we've done. You go, no, I don't buy that. I know, because it's not a delightful, Christmas message is not a delightful message to you. I wish it was. And if you just stay, I hope you stay long enough that it may become a delightful message to you. But the, 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 the sign comes to two groups of people. 
ones who see and are start seeking the Savior, and one who receiving the Savior would mean, it would mean an insecurity to his power. And some people just want to be in control. He was disturbed. Some, for some, Christi Christmas is a delight. For others, it's a disturbance. And all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together the people, the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Remember what I said before? Signs lead to where? The scriptures. Thank you for the two people who are actually paying attention. Okay, let's try that again. The signs lead to the scriptures. The signs lead to the scriptures. So even this guy who wants nothing to do with God knows enough that the answer to what they're saying is found in the scriptures. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. I don't care how many tears you shed in this service. I don't care how deeply you're moved by the music. I don't care what the miracle was, what angel showed up at your door. It should all lead you to the scriptures, which eventually lead you to the Savior. Amen. He says, he asked them, where is the Messiah to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. There's a, there's a new king in town, Herod. And Can we talk? There's a new king in town. You ain't it. And this king, this king loves you so much. That he would come from heaven to earth to pursue you. And this king would say, I'm going to go through all the trouble. I'm going to experience all the pain. You have ruptured your relationship with God. How, you say, have I ruptured my relationship with God. It's very simple. You've ruptured your relationship with God by rebelling against Him. You go, how have I rebelled? It's simple. How has, when, has there ever been a point where you knew God was leading you in a particular direction and you said, no, 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 no thanks. I'll go in another direction. In fact, that little phrase right there, God leading you in, in a direction and you going to another, I just described your whole dating life. God was like, no, 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 no. I think I want to. Listen. There's a new king. There's a new king in town. And he's not coming to be a suggestion giver. He's coming to be a Lord. Do you know that no God is an oxymoron of a sentence? If he's God, how could you possibly tell him no? No, Lord. Wait, 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 wait. If he's Lord, how do you tell him no? He wants to be the ruler. 
And you get scared of that. I get scared of that too. I get real scared of that. But he wants to be the ruler. And Herod said, I'd rather kill him. And most of you say the same. I'd rather he die. I'd rather not know about him. I'd rather not surrender my life to him. I'd rather his death be in vain in my life. Death is the best we can go for. Herod's there's the Herod and there's the wise men. They both get signs. They both run to the scriptures, but they both, they both respond to the Savior differently. Herod, let me just, just in case you're, you have to leave a little early in the service, let me give you the end of the movie, okay? Herod does not repent. He literally orders the death of all the children um, under two years old Jesus barely gets out alive. It's terrible. The Magi, however, they're different. Then the Magi, I'm sorry, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star appeared. He sent, to them, uh, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. So what they do in, on coming, verse 11, jump to verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child, notice not the baby, the child. They saw the child with his mother and they bowed down and worshiped him. That's the proper response. That's the proper response. So, so what, I want to, what I want you to know is that there are signs that are happening right now. There are signs that happened to the Magi. Those signs led them to the scriptures. Those scriptures that God placed in their hands through the great suffering of a guy by the name of Daniel, those scriptures what they used in order to pursue the Savior. And that's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is the sign. I'm not talking about the sign of like, oh, you know, I was going down the highway and I saw, you know, uh, this thing that said this thing. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's like God is speaking to me. Listen, what I'm talking about is the greatest sign that you could ever ask for is that God came from heaven to earth, was born in a stinking manger, recognizing that you were divorced from him and running fast. He decided to mend the relationship by giving his life for you, for me. Christmas is the sign you've been waiting for. The birth of the baby is the sign that you have been looking for your whole life but did not know it. Christmas is what your heart's longing for. Christmas is what heals the loss of a loved one. Christmas is what gives the gift of fortitude during difficult times. Christmas is what heals our fractured, broken lives. Christmas is the story 
of redemption. That those who were unrighteous get righteousness by the one who was righteous receiving an unrighteous reward. Or receiving the reward of unrighteousness. Beloved, it's for you. Would you receive this sign? It's for you. Take it personal. This Christmas is for you. It's a sign, not just to them thousands of years ago, but don't just take the sign and go, wasn't that interesting? Wasn't that talk something? Boy, I never knew there was three people. I can't wait till I talk to my Christian friend, blow them away and shut them up finally. In the, and when I talk to them, I wasn't three. Like, beloved, don't take a sign just for the sign's sake. Let the sign lead you. Let the sign lead you. And I hope that it eventually leads you to the table. One of the things that we've been doing this series is that we've been having communion. What is communion? Communion is what Jesus has uh, instituted. And what he's given us is a reminder of what he's done. So you know what the gospel is. Let me tell you what the gospel is. The gospel is that you are worse than you think. Let me tell you why that's good news. If you had to hide from God who you were in order to go to God, you know how people do that now? They try to be good. They try to get clean. They try to, you know, whatever. Listen to me. Then you're always wondering, afraid, if God loves you after you blow it. Take it from a chronic blower of it. That I know, I know that I'm not going to be good. I tell you this often. You know this. I'm the worst person in this room. I really am. The gospel is, is that you are worse than you think. You have excuses for the bad things that you've done. You go, well, I was using. Well, I got drunk that day. That's why I did that. Well, I didn't know any better. Mm. We got excuses for the wrong. Isn't it interesting we don't have an excuse for the people who have done us wrong? but we have excuses for the wrong things that we've done. Isn't that interesting? Well, here's the thing, and this is really important. That's the gospel. You are worse than you think, but that's not the end of the gospel. The gospel is, you are worse than you think, and God loves you more than you can imagine. How does he love you? It's this simple. When we sinned against God, we broke a cosmic law. Anybody knows, anybody knows what happens when you break the law? Just naturally, over here. Like if you break a serious enough law, what happens? Right? There's a punishment behind that, right? Fine, jail time, you know, death penalty, depending on what state you're in, uh, and depending on the severity of the crime. Listen to me. We broke a cosmic, a cosmic, we broke cosmic laws separating us from God. And God said, you do the crime, I'll do the time. You de- Here's a punishment that you deserve. You know the punishment that, you know, you know how like you go, oh man, I, I, I know that God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. The only reason you say that is because you don't know that God forgives you. 
You have no clue. Not only do you not know, you're also arrogant. You're arrogant to think that your opinion matters. Your opinion about you matters more than God's opinion about you. He made you. Don't be so proud to think that what you think about yourself is more important or the verdict that you give yourself is a, a truer verdict than the one that God gives for you. Don't be so proud. Don't be so arrogant. So remember the gospel. What is the gospel? You are worse than you think, but are more loved than you can imagine. And how were you loved? You broke the law, so God said, I'm going to pursue you. You never, I never pursued God. We've only pursued God insofar as he's shown us to draw to himself. We don't pursue. The Bible says, so, says as much. No one pursues God. No, not one. Jesus comes. And then you know what he does? He goes, I know what I'll do. I'll live the life that I dreamt for you. A perfect life. A life without sin. A life of complete obedience to the Father. That's the life that he dreamt of for you that none of us have pursued. Then he goes and does this. Not only will I live that perfect life for you, I'll also die a substitutionary death. We all deserve the death penalty. You go, I don't know, how do I do that? Listen, when we break cosmic laws, there are penalties for that. One being separation from God forever. Jesus says, I'll take that penalty. And because he is God, he takes an eternity worth of punishment on a Friday evening, on a Friday afternoon. The eternal God hung on a cross, thinking of the person sitting in your seat, thinking of you, thinking of you. And he says, I just, I just, I just love John so much. I just love John so much. I just love John so much. I just love Sally so much. I just hanging on the cross. Loving you well. It's the gift that Christmas is pointing to you. That Christmas is a sign that leads to a deeper reality. And you find it as we search the scriptures. Won't you receive that? Now, before, we get, before you actually take communion, I'm going to ask... I just want to forewarn you, there's nothing up my sleeve. I promise I'm not going to manipulate you. I'm going to ask you to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I'm going to ask you to receive the gift that he's given you. I'm going to ask that you would pursue the sign, that the, the sign that you've received, maybe it was this service was a sign, maybe this weekend during the retreat was a sign, maybe whatever. I'm going to ask that you say, I want to receive the forgiveness. And here's what, what, what you're saying when you're saying receive Jesus. A, admit that you're a sinner. Admit that you're a sinner. And what that means is, is that I got no more excuses. No more excuses. I messed up and I've, and I've sinned against God. Admit. B, believe. Believe 
believe that Jesus came to live the life that you should have lived but didn't and die the death that you deserve to die but don't have to because he did it for you. Believe that. No matter how bad, listen to me, I have done bad things. My bad things are worse than your bad things, I feel. Please, there's nobody who's so far gone. No one. And then C, A, admit, B, believe, C, commit your body to Jesus. Wherever he tells you go, you go. Wherever he tells you do, you do. Wherever he tells you you think, you think. Wherever tell, just commit your body to Jesus, A, B, C. So it's, it's actually coming to Christ is really A and B, and then it leads to C. It's not like the third, it's like it's A and B, and then it leads to C, committing our bodies to Jesus. Okay, so on the night that Jesus was going to be betrayed, I, I think this is so important. I take this bread. I don't want, you, I don't want to give you, you know that your, uh, your loaves, I mean your bread that you have there, are literally cut from one loaf. And because I want to represent that Jesus, there's the one body that's been shed. There, there's one body that's been broken, one blood that's been shed for you. It's what Jesus was trying to describe that Last Supper. Now, remember what I said. I said that before we partake of this, I'm going to ask you to receive Christ. Receive the message that I just shared with you. Admit, believe, commit. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took a bread and he said, you know what this bread is like? It's like my body. It's like my body. And here's what I'm going to allow my body. This is what's going to happen to my body for your sake. For your sake. The person sitting in your seat. The person wearing your shirt. For your sake. I'm going to allow my body to be broken. And then he told them to eat the body because they were going to be taking in his brokenness that was going to make them whole. He broke the bread. Then he took a drink. And I want you to know, I want you to know, this is the recovery house of worship. It's a really safe place for addicts. It's a really safe place for alcoholics. I don't care what your thing is that you struggle with. It's, this is a safe place for you. So this has no alcohol in it, neither does the drink in your hand. No mass relapse today, okay? <laughs> but he takes, he takes the, the drink, and the drink looks an awful lot like blood. And he says, I just want you to remember that your wholeness is going to cost, it's going to come at a great price. Not to you. He says to me. And so he goes, look, 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 look. Just the way this drink pours into this cup, my blood is going to flow for you. You know that thing that you did to your kids that you can't forgive yourself for? How you reacted to your wife? That sin that you won't ever tell anybody because you're going to go to the grave with it? He goes, my, sin, my blood is going to flow for that. You want to die because of that sin? Good news. I've already done that for you. With all of that, would you not say no to that? 
Would you not deny the beautiful gift of Jesus? So, in a couple of seconds, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to stand if you want to receive Christ, meaning this, that you would admit that you have wronged and sinned. You could be as specific as you want. That Saturday night at 2 o'clock in the morning, I did whatever. I don't care. Just confess that. Start now. Start confessing that now. Then B, believe that no matter how grave your sin was, no matter how bad you've done, no matter all the wrong you've committed, that Jesus' grace is better, is greater, that your sin is no match for Jesus' sacrifice. I want you to receive that. That's A, admit. What was A? Admit. What was B? Believe, man, believe that. Start praying now. You don't have to wait till I finish speaking. Start praying it now. God, I can't believe I did that to the kid. I can't believe I did that to whatever. Whatever. And believe, I believe as much as I can. I don't fully believe, but I kind of believe. Jesus, help me believe more. And then let that lead you to see. Commit. Say, Jesus, my body, my thoughts, my hopes, my dreams, my fantasies, it all goes to you. And and even if I go astray, I just still want it to go to you. Count of three, whoever wants to receive Christ as Lord and Savior and has not done it before. If you've already done it before and you're recommitting your life, this is a good time of prayer for you. You sit there and you pray and you go ahead. But if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, as a gesture of surrender, I'm going to ask that you stand at your seat so that you could remember the moment when Jesus moved in your heart to turn to him. I want you to remember that moment on the count of three. One, two, three. Stand if you want to receive Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. Awesome. 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 Wow. Praise God. Praise God. That's amazing. Yeah. That's awesome. That's amazing. Now, now this is, now, right now, we have a very, very, very intimate moment. What I want you to do is I just want you to do what we talked about. Admit, believe, do it in prayer. Every one of us, I want you to pray for these brothers and sisters. If this was a normal day, like way back in January, um, I would have had others come around you and just come alongside you, give you a hug and put an arm around you. We can't do that now. But I want you guys to, would you just extend your hands to the people who are closest to you? And just look at this beautiful brother over here, this beautiful sister over here, this beautiful brother. I'm going to extend my hands out to all of you. God, you are so good. And we are so not. And so, Lord, the forgiveness that only you can give, the forgiveness that only you bestow, the forgiveness that only you give in Jesus, Lord, we thank you for our brothers and sisters receiving it. And we thank you for it in our own lives. We ask, God, that you would, by your grace, deepen this truth, that this standing wouldn't just be a sign, but that the sign would lead to a scriptures, and the scriptures would lead to the Savior, that they would love Jesus, surrender to him, and grow in love and faith, and that this church might help them do so, or any church might help them do so. Lord, I pray that by your Spirit, you would draw them to yourself. 
and that you would be lifted very, very high in and through their lives, that they would recognize the incredible cost that was paid for their salvation, and that they would rejoice in that, and that when Satan reminds them of their sin, and when Satan reminds them of their sin, that that would lead them to worship you for forgiving so great a sin. Make that true, Lord, in and through their lives. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen.